Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I am joined today by our staff writer, Stephen Thompson. Stephen covers the MEAC and the SWAC for us. We're going to talk to him today about both of those conferences and all things Division One HBCUs, kind of where things stand right now as we get a little bit closer to March. So I guess to start, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you cover the MEAC and the SWAC for us and kind of what those conferences uh, mean to you. Gotcha. So um, if you really follow me on social media, I go to Morgan State, so I go to a MEAC school. So in terms of, you know, the conferences and the schools, just the dynamics I was surrounded by college-wise when it comes to athletics is MEAC, ACC basketball, even for football side of things. So I go to Morgan State in Baltimore. We have two MEAC teams in Baltimore, so I'm really focused on Morgan State and Coppin State. So that's pretty much the culture I'm around. I'm around you know, a lot of minorities. So what we talk about is HBC sports because these are the teams that come into our gym, especially since we really have a lot of other PWIs or other major programs, you know, on our schedule at our home games. So you're coming to a homecoming game or you're coming to a major game, you're going to see major MEAC. And even for some MEAC schools, they will have some SWAC schools on the schedule. Yeah. Now, I, I think a, a lot of people know what, you know, what HBCU stands for. Uh, historically black college university, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. So just tell me what, what is an HBCU and what, what does it mean to attend one or to play uh, sports in one of these conferences? Yeah, so to make it quite on the academic side, HBCU is pretty much a school that is mostly made of, of minority students. So African-Americans, Latinos, Africans, even some Middle Eastern students. So in terms of the dynamic, it's really cultural. It's not just one people mistake for just African Americans. It's really not. It's very, it's very mixed, very diverse. So you'll see a lot of people within one space. Gotcha. And then on the athletic side of things, does the um, do, do the sports teams kind of match the demographics of the school? Yes, it really does. Um, from a historical standpoint, you know, when it comes to athletics, HBCUs back in the day before Title IX and a lot of law came into play, you know, a lot of major programs that we see today didn't didn't really want to see a lot of black players. So between the 30s and pretty much to the 70s, pretty much your top athletes were at HBCUs. Like instead of scouts going to a Duke when the time a Duke wasn't even Duke, they would come to a school like Virginia State, Morgan State. North Carolina So if people wanted to find athletes on a historical perspective, you know, we had the best athletes. So that means we had the best games. We had very dominant teams. But, you know, when schools started to let more black athletes, and just more black students come into their campuses, period, in around the 70s and 80s, you know, we took a steep, I'm going to say a very steep downfall. So in terms of right now, um, we still have the soul, we still have the culture, but, you know, the athletic prowess on a national level and also just the resources aren't pretty much the same. Yeah, so, you know, you, you do look at, say, where conferences stack up in relation to each other every year, and it does seem that at least in men's basketball, uh, the MEAC and the SWAC, again, those are the two conferences that are made up of HBCUs, tend to be maybe two of the bottom three conferences year after year. What are some of the unique challenges that they face in terms of resources or in terms of talent that maybe other even mid-major or low-major conferences don't have to deal with? 
Um, so let's talk about recently. So when I first came to Morgan State in 2016, that's when the MEAC and the SWAC started, stopped wearing Russell Athletics. So from like a SWAG aspect, for the last couple years, we're just getting to wearing Nike, Adidas, Morgan State's Adidas school, Howard is on the armor. We're just getting to that. In terms of, you know, coverage, we finally struck something with ESPN a couple years ago. We also had 12 sports. So just in terms of coverage and just, you know, even facilities, we don't really have the best facilities, to be quite honest with you. We have, we're starting to get more partnerships. So in terms of the exposure and just, you know, the income coming in just from sponsorships or just getting, just getting into that, and just in terms, you know, what makes us different in our conferences, we have top athletes, but it's kind of like, it's, it's slightly like JUCO. You have a lot of people coming in who either are coming in from somewhere else or are using this platform to jump to a bigger conference. Um, so you, you mentioned the ESPN deal. I think that's something that's pretty big, and it's something that a lot of the smaller conferences are starting to do. Uh, I think the ASUN just recently uh, made a deal with ESPN and what the ESPN Plus and their streaming platforms. Um, as a student, and I don't know how well you could speak to this, um, but have you seen a difference in the amount of recognition that your school gets? Yes. Um, so this season, you know, I went to Maryland. I've been to pretty much many schools in the Maryland area. So going to a Maryland game or even the UMBC or Towson game, you can kind of see the differences between the athletic department. For example, last week we um, hired our football coach after a three-month wait, and there was media there. But for, you know, just a regular game or a game that doesn't really matter, you're not going to really see a lot of media or a lot of spotlight on us. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if if you don't mind, I'd like to get into some of the, I guess, particulars of this season uh, in these two conferences. Uh, you wrote a piece about uh, Norfolk State last week, and they're, I believe they have a pretty good lead in the conference right now. Tell us a little bit about them and, um, and what kind of makes them work this year. Got you. So... Actually, this article just came out of nowhere. I remember a couple weeks ago. I'm a I'm a stat junkie, so I like to search up history yep. and records over time. So I was on um the stat database, and I saw that um Norfolk State has never really had a a MEAC conference record below 500. So they've been in the MEAC officially since 1999, around 1998, and they have never really had a bad season in the MEAC, and that's rare in mid majors because you know you have teams, you have major players who come in, and after they're gone, it kind of declines. So in terms of just the overall scope of it nationally, in 20, I think 2012, they defeated Missouri. And you had Kyle Quinn, they was wearing Russell Athletics. I think the game was played in the Midwest, and nobody said it to happen. So after that season, a lot of people just did not recognize Norfolk State anymore. They just give them attention. But pretty much the base of the article is just saying that Norfolk State is a very dominant program. I talked to Coach Barbara Jones, and ironically, his first player that he recruited was Kyle Quinn. So that's kind of ironic. So he's been connected to the program. Since about 2007, so he's seen – all he's seen is winning. Besides winning me at um, tournaments, and I think I've only been to one NCAA tournament since that time, he's just seen winning, which is rare. Um, I think he dropped a stat on me. I didn't confirm it yet, but I think Norfolk State right now, ever since around 2010, they're the fourth most winningest program in the state of Virginia, a state that has almost 20 D1 programs. So the basic article is really talking about how Norfolk State is a consistent winner, in a culture, just in a conference that is hard to win over time. So in terms of what they're doing right now, they're currently 11-1 uh, right now after the 
Sadly, they had a brawl with Howard. They lost. They had three players suspended. So, Bethune Cookman kind of tripped them up a bit for their only loss of the season. But every single game they've played, they've been dominant, and they have finished in the end. So, right now, they're sitting at 11-1. And sadly, for my Morgan State Bears, we're next. So, that's kind of, you know, how we're looking at Norfolk State. We have a lot of competitive teams in the EAC, but just Norfolk State is very dominant right now. And this is – we've seen dominance in the EAC, but to see a team just win every game, even through blowouts – or just do close games that just finish consistently, it's a sight to see. I, I think it's one thing to have, you know, a really good season in the MEAC or have a dominant season, but it's something completely different to sustain that year over year like they have been able to. And I think at that level, it's a reflection of the coach and the personality kind of that he has. But, for example, at NC Central, we've begun to associate that school with Lavelle Moten, and he has them. Um, either in the tournament or in the tournament conversation most every year. Do you get that same vibe from uh, from Coach Jones at Norfolk State? Yes. Um, he's very confident. Um, he's, he talks his trash, to be quite real. Norfolk State within the MEAC when Sendo for talking a lot of trash. He's very respectful. But it's just like, not even a slight like He just knows that his team is dominant and his program is dominant. He, he's been bragging about people only know on an international level. They've sent over 15 players to play internationally professionally within the last 15 years. So he knows that he has players coming to the program with pro experience. He knows that he, we now have a Nike partnership. We have full sports. We have ESPNU. Even in terms of, you know, just the Hampton Road area, Hampton is now gone from the MEAC. So in terms of the MEAC, the only Virginia school that we have is, you know, Norfolk State. So if somebody in Virginia wants to play in the MEAC, instead of looking at Hampton first, Norfolk State is that school. So he really knows what he has, and he's quite, he's quite, um, but he's quite to himself when it comes to the media. Like, we, of course, we know Lavelle Moat, we connect him to the MEAC, but Jones has actually been here longer than Lavelle. Like, Lavelle, for a couple of years on, on, on SC Central, when he went up from Division Two, there was a couple losing seasons, but for Robert Jones, he's won every single season as an assistant coach through his recruiting and just developing players, and now as a head coach. So, from MEAC's fans' perspective, Norfolk State is very underrated. I actually ranked them as my dark horse this season, early in the season, but they're pretty much the top horse, and Robert Jones is an amazing coach. Yeah. Um, looking a little bit further, actually, no, you, you know, you, you mentioned the situation with Hampton, which was really kind of weird, played out over last summer. Can you catch people up on that if they didn't see the drama over them leaving the MEAC? Yeah, because this pretty much happened – Ooh, it's been so long. That's long as it's been over a year. So that happened the fall of 2017. So on a personal level, I remember I was sitting in class. It was, I think it was November. I was writing for another outlet at that point. And I get a tweet. I get a tip. Actually, in the middle of the night. Actually, I wrote Facebook the game day also. They wrote it, so I wrote it myself. I second posted birth news. It was 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And they confirmed the story out of nowhere. So usually over time when you leave a conference, if you watch college sports, you kind of give them a year or about a two, three-year head of time. Hampton did not wait. They announced it in the middle of football season, and that pretty much made the rest of the year pretty hectic between Hampton and MEAC. There's it was about one or two exchanges of letters between Hampton University President um, Dr. Harvey and our Commissioner um, Dennis Thomas. So pretty much Hampton, they went to the Big South. They went to the Big South, excuse me, just to say, hey, there's better exposure for our academics, but really. Hampton wanted to save a little bit of money, and also the Big South is a lot of schools that were in the same area, so. Hampton only has to travel to Virginia, North Carolina, and some other areas. So 
that was pretty much that situation. Now, in terms of, you know, what happened their last MEAC tournament, they almost won the MEAC tournament. So everybody was coming in hoping that Hampton does not win and they went to the championship game. So in terms of, you know, how to hurt the conference on a football level, the football pretty much when it comes to the schedule, because we do, you know, we do it years ahead of time, the MEAC was left in a hole. Many teams had a hole in their schedule. So, for example, with North Carolina and A&T, they won the MEAC in football. When they lost to Morgan State, a lot of people thought, hey, that affected their conference record, but actually it was counted as a non-conference game. So for football, there was a lot of non-conference games considered as with me as opponent, but it was non-conference games. So that pretty much hurt football. Other sports, it wasn't hurt that much, but really our football was hurt the most. And basketball, we've seen some of the changes, but not a lot of changes. But just, just in terms of the intensity between Hampton and just HBC fans right now, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, they faced Howard, their main rival in basketball, to beat Howard, but but they lost to Norfolk State. I think in um double overtime. So that was the Hampton situation. In terms of just the future of the MEAC, slightly, it kind of puts us in puts the MEAC in a hole. Um, we're down a team, especially for football, especially only having eight football schools right now in basketball. Also, Savannah State, we might have just ten or eleven. So we're losing a major member, Hampton, besides Howard, maybe an A&T or um, FAMU, was our top academic school. They're a private school just like Howard, so it's pretty much Howard, but it's in Hampton. So we lost a major brand, and they won a lot. They went to a few NCAA tournaments. They won a few football titles. Now, they didn't win that much coming out the conference, but they were a true standard of excellence. That was also in the way of Norfolk State. So... That was the Hampton situation. They're doing okay in the Big South. Jermaine Miro is a monster, but as fans, we kind of do miss Hampton, but it's kind of weird. Nobody's talking about Hampton. With, even within the HBC ring, somebody's kind of mentioning, hey, they're gone. Hey, what's going on? Nobody's kind of talking about them. So it's weird, and it's just the way it happened in the middle of the year. was just so, you know, it was crazy. So, and actually, I think that was my actually my first story I ever broke as a journalist, like fresh 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I just reported the story. So... That's the Hampton situation. We did them well. I want them to succeed, but just in terms of NEAC and just HBCU athletics, they kind of messed up the swagger a little bit. Yeah, is that where some of the animosity came from? Not just, you know, leaving holes in the football schedule, doing this so quickly, but the fact that this is another HBCU and the kind of idea that you guys are all in it together and Hampton just leaves in the middle of the night yeah, um, ironically, I was doing some research when the news happened, and so they, you know, the CIAA was a major, it's a major HBCU conference on a Division II level. So in the late '90s, President Harvey, you mentioned I said President Harvey, not the athletic director. So President, the university president made this decision. He kind of, he he has a strong grip on the campus. He's been there for a long time. So in the late '90s, he did the same thing to the CIAA and shipped Hampton to the MEAC. So what was kind of ironic about that, Norfolk State left right at the Hampton, but it was kind of really ironic to a lot of fans who have been covering the MEAC for a few, pretty much two decades now. Hampton's been wanted, wanted to leave the MEAC for pretty much the whole time within the MEAC. So they was kind of waiting for a proper opportunity to leave. So it just showed that, you know, how administrators and just presidents, how they can really get in the way when it comes to athletics and just, you know, not see the, pretty much the bigger picture of just, you know, the conference as a whole. All right, so let's get back to who's actually in the conference. Um, we talked about Norfolk State. They're at, at the top. Of, you know, that's probably the team to watch. But perhaps the most exciting player in the conference plays for Howard, a sophomore 
R.J. Cole. He's, I think he made uh, made some headlines last year uh, kind of as a breakout freshman. Haven't heard from him quite as much this year. What, what's his game all about? And if, if anyone hasn't seen him play, what could they expect from Cole, like in the MEAC tournament or if they even get further than that? So pretty much R.J. Cole, he's not the biggest guy on court. He's not, he's not even the strongest guy on court, but he's very consistent. So he's a great three-point shooter, but when he's driving to the hole, you're going to get a foul called on you, and he's going to execute. So he, he works pretty much a slasher. He goes in the paint. He gets what he needs to get. And it just in terms of scoring. He doesn't get tired of scoring. Um, he scores 25. That's a normal night for they go. For a player coming off the bench or a regular MEAC player, no offense to all the other players, scoring 25 is just an amazing, but R.J. Cole, he scored over 20 points the majority of his games. Non-conference, MEAC, it doesn't matter. R.J. Cole is just, you know, and I can put a walking bucket. He scores a lot of points. So in terms of, you know, just the promotion of R.J. Cole would kind of hurt R.J. Cole. He's on a Howard team that can't really execute. Um, himself, Charles Williams, and Chad Lock, they're the three main scores for Howard, but every, everybody else, they rarely score. It's been a few games where just three or four players score all the points for Howard, which is, okay, it's okay because it's a mid-major, but that's, that's kind of weird. You don't really have a bench presence. So with Howard sitting at pretty much the back end of the middle of the conference, RJ Cole's not really getting that much shine. But in terms of where he ranks right now in the conference, he leads the conference with – 575 points. He's averaging 21.3 points per game, and that's pretty much at least, if you searched up, at least top 30 in the nation. So he's been nationally ranked for scoring both of his his seasons, which is rare in the MEAC. Last uh, MEAC team I wanted to touch base on, and then maybe we could talk a little bit about the SWAC. Uh, You mentioned this is the last year that Savannah State's going to be in Division I. And I, I think basketball fans are going to miss having uh, a team like that. that uh, Savannah State plays a really uh, a strange style, not something you see very often at this level. Um, what you could tell, tell us a little bit about about the way that they play. So I remember when I first saw Savannah, Savannah State in person last season. Just the pace that they run at is is ridiculous. If you even have big guys just running up and down the court, so I pretty much call Savannah State. They are the running gun offense of college basketball. They will shoot the ball, covered or not, they will shoot the ball, they will run the ball up and down the court for 40 minutes, and they have beaten a lot of teams by doing so. Now, I'm currently looking at their records. Their worst MEAC record in the MEAC has been 5-11, and 11, and that was in 2014. But the rest of the season, they've had, you know, winning records within MEAC play. But what is weird about them going back down to D2 um, they pretty much joined the MEAC in 2010, and they had their first official MEAC season in 2011-2012 within the conference for seven to eight years. So in terms of their legacy, they're a good school in the South, you know, they're in Georgia, so you kind of get that Atlanta-Georgia market. But overall, in terms of winning, they didn't win as much. But in terms of college basketball, just in terms of just, you know, what you're going to get from it, you're going to get a fast-paced offense, and you're going to get a team that can win at least 10 or 12 games each year in the MEAC play. So I know defenses in the MEAC are kind of sad. I'm not sad at all to see them go. They're happy, but it's just losing another team, especially a team that's special for the MEAC. That's kind of, you know, it's kind of like an Army-Navy football. They run that, they run that offense that nobody runs. That's, that's how it is for Savannah State. So, you know, that's the offense they run. It's very fast and very quick pace, and they're very accurate. And their coach, he's been known for executing and 
he's actually been at Savannah State since 2005. So to see him, you know, see them go back down to D2, it would have been awkward. They're saving money, but luck for them going back to D2. They pretty much have D1 facilities, D1 uniforms, but just going back down the level. So that is the Savannah State situation. People are not really talking about it, but um, long-term, we probably will most likely be missing Savannah State as well. So, you, you know, you, you mentioned it's a run-and-gun type offense, but they also really emphasize the three-point shot more than um, other really fast-paced teams might. They lead um, lead the country in uh, percentage of shots taken from beyond the arc. Uh, is that uh, – it doesn't appear to be a strength for them. They only shoot 29% from three. Um, but it, it, has that become kind of a hallmark of their game, too, just firing off three? Yeah, it's pretty much a hallmark of the game in terms of three-point percentage. Um, they rank bottom in the conference, but their attempts, they have over a 1,000 attempts. <laughs> and most of that teams, they have under 550. So that's what they do, and it's very accurate. Um, yes, I say the percentage is low, but it's just in terms of, you know, if they're open – or if you just don't want them to make it, they just ironically will make those shots. So, yeah, it's very fast-paced. They shoot a lot. I don't know why their arms don't get tired, and it's just what they do, and this makes them special. All right, let's switch gears, talk about the SWAC for a minute. Um, this is a conference that lately has been pretty much dominated by Texas Southern. Uh, you had Mike Davis leave this past off season for Detroit. Texas Southern still very good. They're nine and three in the conference two games back. Uh but Prairie View A and M is is the first place team they've lost only once in conference. I don't think that's a team that many people uh outside of the uh SWAC area have seen play live. I certainly haven't. Um what what are they all about? So Texas Southern is a very, very even team. And it's over their whole brand, they're <laughs> they're just a, a very – the way they execute, the way they brand themselves, they wear Adidas, they have a great uniform. They're just, you know, probably besides Southern and Grambling, they're pretty much the best branding within this class. But in terms of the court, they just win. <laughs> if he, They're kind of like an Oak State situation. They've only lost one game, and they lost Texas Southern by five points. You know, Gary Blackston, he can score 25 on any given night. You have Andrews. You have a lot of players who can really score for Texas Southern. So that's – Texas Southern, they're pretty much a balanced team. They've had a lot of close games, but they've had a few blows as well. And, you know, just the streak that they're going on, they pretty much sweep the first half of the schedule and kind of sweep in the second half of the schedule. It just shows that, you know, for fans outside the SWAC, if you're going to, you know, try to predict Texas Southern going to the tournament, you might have to watch the SWAC tournament and just see if the um, Prairie View can beat Texas Southern again. So Prairie View did something this year that, Texas Southern is known for, and they didn't play a home game until January. They played their first, looks like, 12 games on the road this season. It's something that um, Texas Southern has done in the past, just trying to schedule uh, money games to fund the athletic department. Is this something that is more commonplace in the SWAC maybe than we realized, and it what what does it mean for the conference itself to just take losses like that uh, in, in such great numbers early on? Um, though um, SWAC schools they're known for their bigger facilities compared to BIAC schools, just overall just trying to operate at a division level because you know MIAC and SWAC they're pretty much second to and last 
in terms of revenue in Division One. So it just shows that, you know, it's just a reality of college sports. Even if you in college football, you see FCS teams getting checks like it's nothing. So you can't really judge it. You have to pay the bills. Now, luckily for some of the teams, like if you see Prairie View, they only lost to Baylor by 11 points. They only lost to East Carolina by 8 points. They lost to Georgia Tech by 9 points. So you're facing major teams. Your, your RPI, well, I don't know, they still use RPI, but, you know, this just for schedule will be high than a lot of other teams. But it's just, you know, it's sad as a fan to see it happen. But as a, once you really become a student, once you really follow the conference, you kind of see that it's very necessary, especially basketball. You're traveling at least over 20 times a year. You're going to have to, you know, have your reps. You're going to have to have your cameras. It's just so many components when it comes to basketball season that, you know, for those three months, it's just so much money that's accumulated but is also taken away because of bills and just trying to operate. So it's a necessity. It's sad that a lot of lower-tier major conferences have to do it on paper, but, you know, the bills have to be paid, and that's helped Texas and even some other swag schools facing major schools. It kind of helps build their program, get them some exposure, and also, you know, prepare them for the conference please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who are some of the players around the conference maybe that we haven't heard of that we should watch out for in the uh, upcoming SWAC tournament? Gotcha. So you have uh, Marquez McKnight. You have Marquez McKnight. He was, I think he was named preseason player of the year for SWAC. I also named him that as well. Um, he's averaging pretty much RJ Cole numbers. Um, 21 points per game. What's, what's interesting about him, he's Right now, he's played over 1,000 minutes this season. He has scored over 600 points, and that's nearly doubled in most leading scores within. The next leading score is Jeremy Combs. He scored four or three, but he's only averaging 16 points a game. So, Mark Davis, you really have to watch him. In terms of where Pine Bluff is right now, they're currently right behind Alabama State. So, they're number they're on fourth place within the conference. So, there will be a team to watch. In terms of Texas Southern, you have Jeremy Combs, like I said before, 16 points. Um, Reginald Jeans and Kobe Ross is kind of like the R.J. Cole and Charles Williams of the SWAC. Both of those players are averaging over 13 points, and they have both played over 600 minutes as well. So in terms of Alabama State, you're going to get a huge load of those two. So those are pretty much, you know, you also have Ivy Smith, Dowitz, um Polk Hewitt from Grambling State. So you have a few players within the SWAC. So in terms of just comparison of the two conferences, you will see better players just in terms of individual stat numbers within the MEAC. But the SWAC, you cannot underestimate them. They do have a lot of great players, especially being in the southwest of the country. Yeah, that's that's a place where you do just naturally end up getting a lot of talented uh, players growing up. Uh, let, let's say you were – a coach of a of a SWAC program, and anyone really. What's your what would your pitch be to get a, a local kid like a Martavius McKnight to stay home? Um, what makes a SWAC better than actually most conferences? It's just the culture. It's kind of funny. I joke around with some of my friends who watch the sports. It's kind of like SWAC. First off, the trash talk between the schools are all year long because these rivalries these go back decades. You have family members, you have cousins you know, going to these schools for decades. So if you look at it, the trash talk is all year. So in terms of the athletic culture, they're not going to stop talking about your win from last year. So if I'm a player, hey, I beat this team with the last second shot. They're going to keep talking about that for a whole year. And also talking about culture, it's just, it feels like, it feels, every game feels like a family. It sounds stereotypish, but, you know, with just the cooking, 
that they have and just the band. The swag bands are amazing. Best fans of nature with the bands, the cooking, and just, you know, the whole town and the whole university rooting for you every game. You could be, you know, let's, for example, Southern. If Southern and Grambling, they have a bad season, but, hey, once that Southern Grambling game shows up, the whole university is behind you. So just in terms of the culture, that really connects to you. That really, that's, honestly, you could, if you could just build culture to an athlete, you could just pitch that alone. But also what makes the swag different than we act, some of the facilities that they have are amazing. Like Texas Southern, their arena is beautiful. Downtown Houston, you have schools. You have pretty much most schools will have a giant gym for a lot of – even just a giant facility for a lot of their sports. So my main two talk points for the SWAC, really the culture, the fans are loyal. I don't care if you're 0-25, the arena will be packed, the band will be playing, and they're going to want to see you get that first win. And also just facilities. The facilities are amazing for the SWAC and Pits and Miak. So those two talking points. And there's also just the region and country you're at. You know, we're in the north, you know, so some fans are a little bit, they're not going to go to every single game, but within the south, that's what makes the SEC, the Big 12, a lot of those conferences down in the south make so special. Kind of like every single game matters. You're going to be at every game. You're going to get your season ticket holders, and you're going to get people who are very dedicated to the program over time. Winning or losing, it doesn't matter. They're loyal. So really three talking points, the culture, the facilities, and really just the loyalty by the fans. And I think all of that together makes the viewing experience as a, as a fan uh, even better. Yeah. <laughs> Within the crowd, you're going to see your bands. You're going to see your bands. It's yeah. not just – that's what makes me you know the MEAC and SWAC a little bit different than most conferences. It's kind of – it's a full-blown show. It's more than just basketball. You're going to get your band. You're going to get your dancers. You're going to get the same constant fans. You're going to know who's here. It's just, you know, a family reunion. It's just a different type of atmosphere. All right. Um, I, I think that's all that I have. Is there anything else you wanted to add about either of these conferences, about HBCUs, about anything you want? Um, just the way I'm looking at um, this is my third year covering HBCU sports. Just, we're on, a, we're kind of coming up again. We have our ESPN partnerships. We're getting people in. We are having players well, on the football side going to the pros. So if you're looking down at the me, I can slap, don't check your history. Not <laughs> sound Erica, but check your history. We are, we have a lot of programs who have been a part of very crucial moments within history, just within sports history, just within American history, period. So it might seem like we're at the bottom, but it's just in terms of the culture, what we bring to the table is different, and it's something that's very promotable. So MEAC and Swag Basketball, very amazing basketball. I love it. I like the cover of it. I've covered UBC games. I've went to Maryland games. I've covered major schools. I've written major stories. But, you know, at the end of the day, I love ACCU sports, and that would be a focal point for my coverage for pretty much forever. It's just, you know, it's just my lifestyle. So, yeah, that's the MEAC and Swag. If, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know what it is, you pretty much got your little 35-minute recap of what those two conferences are pretty much made of. All right, so obviously people want to read where you write, and you can check it out at midmajormadness.com. If people want to get in touch with you, follow you on Twitter, Where what's the best way to reach you? Gotcha. So um, Twitter underscore um, Stephen Season, so Stephen, S-Z-N. Um, Instagram, Stephen.Season. And I also have my website, StephenSeason.com. So if you kind of want to get a quick archive of pretty much all of my HCQ content, you can go there. So but maybe just follow me on Twitter. I'm very vocal. I'm randomly tweeting 2 o'clock in the morning. You see, Russell, I'm just always <laughs> yes, just tweeting about um, HCC sports, just our history. So even, you know, if you follow me, interact with me. I like interaction. 
I've got a lot of great interactions from some of my pieces, even about a and I did in November. So definitely you can find me. I'm very vocal. I'm actually going to the MIAC tournament, just confirmed my hotel room yesterday. So if you're at the MIAC tournament, we're trying to get a preview of what to expect. You can, you know, find that out in a couple of weeks. All right, that sounds good. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. This was a great, uh, great talk, and I, I hope we get a chance to uh, to chat again, especially as we get closer to March. Most definitely. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mid Major Madness podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe. We are on iTunes. We're also now on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much wherever else you find your podcast. If you are so inclined, also be sure to rate and review us. Say nice things. It means a lot. And for Stephen Thompson, I am Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.